Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. Welcome to Marvel Us Disney, the podcast that discusses all of the recent doings of one of the Walt Disney Company's more interesting divisions, Marvel. As for who Us is, I'm Jim Hill, and let me bring in audio magician and Marvel historian Aaron Adams. Hello once again. Great to be here. What we're going to try to do with this show is we want to talk about what's going on with Marvel at the moment. And at the moment, there's a really interesting piece of news out there. We're recording now on Wednesday, November 8th. But on Monday of this week, CNBC broke a huge story. They revealed that 21st Century Fox has been holding talks with the Walt Disney Company, with the, the idea being that Disney would purchase Fox's film and television production division. So the 21st Century Fox could then sort of reimagine it itself as a much more tightly focused media company for the modern age. To be specific, Fox would basically be parred back to what? Uh, Fox News, Fox Sports, the Fox Fox Broadcast Channel, as well as Fox Business. This would leave Disney with actually a very interesting assortment of things. I mean, for example, they were going to get the National Geographic Channel, which would synergistically be a good tight fit with their Disney Nature documentary series. And the Animal Kingdom. There we go. Okay. FX. And, you know, again, as a fan of Archer, I'm not sure how that fits. But at the same time, when Disney got Marvel, I wasn't sure Howard the Duck and Donald would come together. But I'm up for this idea. I love Archer and the idea of of it being sanitized in any way I find abhorrent. I agree. I also think that Disney is smart enough to know that when something is working, they've got such a wide audience now, they don't cater just to children anymore. I'm a 43-year adult. I love Marvel. They've mm. got Lucasfilm. Again, I'm an adult. I love all of the Star Wars stuff that's coming out. So I think as Disney has grown as a company and buying all of these properties, their audience has also grown demographically to a larger age spectrum. It's not just cartoons anymore. I would agree. I would agree. Though that said, that supposedly what's really driving what's behind this is, remember, back in August, Disney announced that it was going to be launching its own direct-to-consumer streaming service in 2019. And supposedly the end game here is that Disney's looking to go head-to-head with Netflix. Sure. A Disney-branded subscription service would need a lot of content. One of the things people immediately talked about was like, wow, this will be the exclusive place for the Star Wars movies, and this will be the exclusive place for the Marvel Cinematic movies and Pixar and so on. But again, you need a ridiculous amount of content. Supposedly, that's what this was really about, that what Disney was angling after was 21st Century Fox's film library and television library, which it could then use to supplement its own huge pile of feature films, animated shorts, and TV shows. And when you lump all that together, that's a lot of really tempting content. It would probably compel a lot of people who get their entertainment through subscription-based services to to at least give this new Disney entity a, a try. Now, Aaron, being Aaron, yeah. you know, yeah. you're going to want me to mention the fact that this news broke. But as this news broke, the caveat that the CNBC was putting out there was that the negotiations had broken off or had they just been paused. Nobody mm -hmm. really knows for sure at this point. But to my way of thinking, given that these sorts of high stakes, hugely expensive corporate acquisitions are usually done in 
super top secret meetings and with code names and crud like that. The fact that this info has leaked at all is really intriguing a lot of people in both entertainment and financial circles. They're wondering, to be honest, if the news of the negotiation was deliberately leaked in an effort to get better terms. And I can tell you straight out that the, the leak has definitely had a, an impact on both Fox's and Netflix stock price. Fox stock price went up by 7%, where uh, Netflix actually took a 4% hit. Yeah. You know what I think it is, more than anything? To leak something nowadays is a good way to gauge public opinion of what you haven't quite done yet. Take Deadpool, for example. That was a proof of concept, passion project. It accidentally got leaked. I mean, there was only the director, the star, and like the producer mm -hmm. at the time that could have leaked it. It's like, so the creators leaked it. So the fans could see it, and they could shout to Fox, we want this. And if a big company is about to spend billions of dollars, so you have an accidental leak, and then all of a sudden the public can start chiming in their two cents about, oh my goodness, this is the best thing in the world. You start seeing stock prices fluctuate, and all of a sudden you have your finger on the pulse of public opinion without spending a cent. That's an intriguing insight. Again, just watching what's gone on online for 48 hours. The thing that people are really excited about about this proposed acquisition is should Disney actually get their hands on Fox's film and television library? That means Marvel Studios, in theory anyway, I want to you know, put that out there, could then reclaim the film and television rights to characters that it sold off to Fox back in the, the mid-90s. So we're talking, what, the X-Men, Fantastic Four, and as you just said, Deadpool, along uh -huh. with folks who came with that deal. I mean, Well, that's the entire X-Men catalog. Anything that had the word mutant attached to it mm -hmm. went into the Fox stable. And let me tell you, Marvel went nuts with creating mutants back in the 80s and 90s. That's like a thousand characters of just mutants. Mm -hmm. It's a large stable that they could get back. I think that could be a double-edged sword. How so? Okay, so one, you get your property back, mm. and nobody does Marvel better than Marvel. Okay, so that's the positive side of this double-edged sword. The negative side I see of it is look at how much content they would have to spit out on a regular basis because their movie schedule is what like three marvel movies a year whether it's a solo or a team up if you all of a sudden have the rights to all of the x-men the fantastic four and a thousand other characters that means that you either have to put out like six to ten marvel superhero movies a year or you start thinning out the character lineup to only have the very best cream of the crop Disney's got to put out a spectacular Star Wars movie every single year now because it's on the calendar. They've got to put out three great Marvel movies every single year because it's on the calendar. And so far, they've been almost a flawless track record. I mean, it's always been very, very impressive. Even the duds of Marvel are still pretty darn good movies, comparatively speaking. So if you all of a sudden put yourself into a position where you have to churn out five extra movies what if one or two of them bomb your dominoes start tipping and you can't stop them once they start falling it's a lot of content and a lot of management and a lot of creativity going on to control and keep moving the way that disney wants because they know what they want they know what they need to get the audience into the theater but when you have 
egos of talent of directors and actors, you have to get people that are willing to work with you to make that dream happen. And now you've got a hundred dreams on the table and they all have to go in the same direction. And that's a big juggling challenge. Now, just to throw something out here, Kevin Feige, president of Marvel Studios, first mentioned this in March and it's since come up a couple of times as part of the press lead up to Thor Ragnarok. And what Kevin talked about was he's mentioned that they're looking coming with the end of phase three, which, which correct me if I'm wrong here, phase three is supposed to end with the follow-up film to Avengers Infinity Wars. and Yeah, it would be the fourth Avengers movie, whatever it ends up being called. After Infinity War, there will be another Avengers movie, and that would be the cap to phase three. three. Yes. Okay. But what's kind of interesting is that he's mentioned that, you know, we may be stepping away from this these interconnected films. Wait a minute. I don't think that's what he said. I think he said that they weren't going to be doing phases. Okay. Instead of doing phases, the movies can still be interconnected throughout their storytelling, but after Thanos, you don't have to have 17 movies that lead up to a big event. They can just naturally have a big event whenever the heck they want to because they've got the roster out there and available and, and known to the public. So I still think that they'll, they'll all be interconnected. I just don't think that they'll be separated into chunks in the way that they had been so far. Okay, but if that makes sense. This can't be something that just happened, got on the phone this past weekend and called the guy at Fox and said, hey, let's talk. This has been in the works for a while. We've seen a nuanced approach to intellectual properties with, for example, how Spider-Man was brought into Civil War, Mm -hmm. kind of a quid pro quo for Marvel, helping them get the series back on track with Homecoming. What if Feige, knowing that this is potentially in the works is sort of kind of clearing the deck to get ready for potentially this whole new set of characters as you mentioned potentially coming in and needing the opportunities and the breathing space to be folded into the cinematic universe while at the same time respecting that fox has actually made some genuinely great X-Men and Deadpool, but they've got a good handle on the sort of the R-rated take on this material. Well, here's a thought from a Mm -hmm. comic book fan perspective. I'm following a logic train and nothing else. When the X-Men were created in the comic books, it was about social injustices such as racism and homophobia and things like that. The X-Men were different. That's all they were, were just different. Okay? And it was a metaphor. So... If you watch all of the X-Men movies that Fox put out, it's humans versus the X-Men. Humans are always afraid of the mutants because mutants could tear us apart. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we've got a whole bunch of superheroes who are loved for their superpowers. And if all of a sudden Marvel gets the rights to X-Men back and they try and mash it into the current cinematic Marvel Universe, you've currently got a group of people who are hated for their superpowers by all of Earth and a group of people who are beloved for their superpowers by all of Earth. Those two storylines currently do not jive together. So I think after you get done with Avengers 4, 
because contracts are coming up. We may not have a Steve Rogers or an Iron Man or a Thor by the time we get done with all of that. We'll have Doctor Strange, we'll have Black Panther, we'll have Spider-Man, and maybe the Fantastic Four will show up if a deal should come through later on. And yeah, the X-Men, but I think if the X-Men come in, they have to relaunch that entire universe Hmm. from the ground up. That's an interesting point. And it's intriguing that you bring up the whole beloved aspect of the Avengers, because this past weekend, it was TBS and I think FX to sort of piggyback on Thor Ragnarok. They ran Avengers, they ran Age of Ultron, they ran Iron Man 3 and Ant-Man. And what was fascinating, the Marvel Studios films really do make a point that these characters constantly put the public first. It's all about save the civilians, get them out of harm's way. And not to belabor the point, but with Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, it was more about blow up buildings and doesn't that look cool? Yeah. You know, and only after the fact, it's like, oh yeah, civilians, uh, get them out of the way. Right, right. So I know I do get that. That would be a challenge to take characters that, again, people are afraid of versus... It would be like saying, I like you because you have a $5 bill, but I hate this guy over here because he's got five single dollar bills. It's still $5. Mm. You both got $5. But X-Men are hated because they're different. Avengers are loved because they have practically the exact same powers. Storm can summon lightning, so can Thor. It's a really weird situation, but again, it was the time of the 60s when the X-Men were coming out, and you have artists and creative story writers who are trying to put a little social commentary into their work. And so times have changed, I hope, Mm. where we can move past that person is different, let's ostracize them, and change how the X-Men are viewed if they do come back to the Marvel umbrella. And again, remember, we're talking speculatively here, folks, because, again, supposedly the negotiations have broken off or or they're on pause. Though, to double back onto something that folks at Disney told me, now remember, everyone was excited because if Disney get Fox, that means that potentially we get a Fantastic Four movie. But here's the thing. I have been told over the past year by several people within the company that Disney already has the movie rights to Fantastic Four, that supposedly on the heels of Fox's 2015, the the Josh Josh Trash movie, that this movie performed so poorly and evidently there was so much drama behind the scenes that Josh was supposed to direct the Boba Fett film for Lucasfilm. I mean, that was actually going to be the project that followed Rogue One. I was actually at the Star Wars convention, the official Lucasfilm event back in, geez, this would have been 2015. And they're doing the presentation on stage. And here's the director of Rogue One, and he's talking about how excited he is. And Kathleen Kennedy on stage, oh, by the way, Josh is under the weather and can't make it and blah, 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 and just sort of plowed through. And it was only three or four weeks later that we learned that Josh and Lucasfilm sort of parted ways. And not only that, but the Boba Fett film was now on hold. And this supposedly all came on the back of how badly off track the Fantastic Four reboot had gone. 
you know, remember we talked earlier about the Sony deal to relaunch Spider-Man with Captain America Civil War. And then in turn, the character could then carry his own film, Spider-Man Homecoming, and there would be this porous membrane in the cinematic universe. So Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man could come into that story. What I had heard was this was the same deal that Fox was looking for with Fantastic Four. Given that Phase 3 was going to wrap in May of 2019, and then we'd have another five or six films for the fourth arc, that it would be with this arc that they'd bring in Fantastic Four. And supposedly, what's kind of intriguing, if you remember, was it Fantastic Four 2 that brought in Silver Surfer and Galacticus? Yes, I got to tell you, Doug Jones, Mm -hmm. who played the Silver Surfer, is a friend of my wife. Is he really? Wow. So he's from the Indianapolis area, and she's met him on several occasions because she works at a TV station, and, and they've been in contact. And he's a very, very gentle, loving, wonderful human being. So when I criticize anything about Fantastic Four, I'll always put in the caveat, except for Doug Jones, who is always brilliant in everything he does. I love the man. So, okay, we can move on now and be quiet. Well, no, 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 <laughs> for, for the Disney fans in the audience, it's early November, so October was the month where Hocus Pocus played endlessly. And right. if you, you know the character Billy Bones, the ghoul that comes up out of the grave that one of the Sanderson sisters summons up. That's Doug. Yeah, he's been around forever. He's currently starring in the new Star Trek. That's right. Discovery. That's right. He does yeah. such wonderful work. Is, it, is that the first he's officer? A, I forget. I uh, know. Yeah. Yeah. He's first officer or uh, Lieutenant Saru. There we go. I there we go. Yeah. Wonderful character. But you could always tell it's Doug because it's the thinnest possible yes, character. He is. he is incredibly tall and incredibly thin. And uh, it's funny, the picture of him hugging my wife, mm-hmm. it's like he can wrap his arms around her twice oh. because he is just so slender, so tall, so lanky. But he, when he greets someone, he gives them the biggest hug in the world. He is one of the most kindest, gentlest people, and, and we just love him. So. And he's Moving such, such yeah. a talent, though. He is. He really is. He's also in Shape of Water, isn't he? The new Guillermo, right? The, yep, he plays Guillermo's monster once again. Ah. If Guillermo makes a movie with a monster, Doug's in the suit. That's the way it works. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, to get circle back to Fantastic Four, supposedly that is the plan. Not to put too fine a shine on it, but think about it. Phase four introduces the Fantastic Four. Yeah. yeah come on, it's a gimme. The Fantastic Four has always been known as the first family. Mm-hmm of the Marvel Universe. Stan's earliest creations, and to not have them represented in the Marvel Universe still feels like a crime. And I do believe that Josh Trank could have had a very, very good movie, but you also have a studio where they own Fantastic Four, but they don't necessarily know Fantastic Four or what makes them work. And when you have a whole bunch of cooks in the kitchen throwing their ideas into the pot, you don't get a good stew, you get a sludge. And a very heavily edited sludge at that, because if you watch the movie, you can tell there was a lot more that was filmed that got cut out because that movie jumps pretty radically. Oh, it's so funny you mentioned this. I was at a Pixar press event, and I was sharing mm-hmm. a cab from the airport for, I, I apologize, I'm blanking the name of the entertainment writer, but he was talking about 
the Fantastic Four film, and he said, the thing is, he can't watch that movie too closely. I mean, for example, the actress who plays Sue Storm. Mm -hmm. It's so clear that she came back to reshoot scenes, but that she had changed her hair over time. He said, there's moments when you can watch the texture of her hair change, because she's wearing a wig. But it was just like, we need to change this dialogue, we need to change this shot, and so suddenly she's come back, and they try to match the line, but they can't, and they're doing these reshoots, running and gunning, to try to get this thing out the door for 2015 the biggest difference is marvel has a head they have decades of knowledge and understanding of why their characters and and specific stories from those characters work and that's the difference between a fox or a sony where they own the rights to a character but they don't have anyone in the company who's lived with the character for decades and knows them intimately and how to tell their story accurately and that's why i think all marvel fans are always rooting that x-men and fantastic four will come home my only concern about that like i said earlier is that means they're churning out a bunch of movies way way too fast and there could be superhero burnout there could be a failure that makes it crumble a little bit we just we just want good movies that we can love so Ben this was not a please save us please take the Fantastic Four so I understand it this is how it was explained to me at friends at Disney and Marvel Studios Fox wanted something in return for surrendering these rights they have the film rights to the X-Men but not necessarily the television rights And what Mm. they were looking to do is, again, you mentioned that, you know, we have this huge stable of characters, but there's only so many films you can do per year. And so what they wanted to do was move them into television. And to my way of thinking, what's fascinating is you hear this talk and then you look February of this year. We had Legion pop up on FX. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. Oh, my. Uh, It was the most creatively different thing I had ever seen on television and I loved every single second of it because it was so unique. It may have had some flaws here and there, but they had the audacity to go as far as they could with it, and I applauded them for their effort every step of the way. I thought Legion was brilliant. I can't wait for season two. And then, of course, just last month, we saw the launch on Fox itself of The Gifted, another story that's set in that X-Men world with mutants. And Mm -hmm. to my way of thinking, when you see these two projects show up and with the understanding that the Fox wanted something to surrender the Fantastic Four film rights, it it encourages me that maybe this is in fact going to happen for Mm -hmm. Phase 4. I think the idea of moving superheroes to television is a pretty darn good idea for a couple of reasons. A, you don't have to worry about big, huge, $100 million blockbuster budgets and having four or five of them every year. I mean, that's half a billion dollars just in $100 million budget for five movies, which would be cheap Mm -hmm. for Marvel nowadays, you know? So that's a huge load of money to invest by going over to television. Instead of me getting a two-hour pretty decent daredevil movie i now have two seasons of really great daredevil that i enjoy thoroughly so i'm getting more of my superhero fix 
by them shifting over to television. And now I've got all of the defenders. I love Jessica Jones. So I appreciate the idea of if you're going to move over to television, as long as you keep it true to the characters, if they're bloody and violent, be bloody and violent. If they're weird and crazy, let it be weird and crazy. Legion did that. The defenders and in, in the Netflix shows, I think, have all done really pretty darn good. And I'm, I'm okay with them switching over to streaming services and full series on networks. I think that's a pretty good move. Yeah, and honestly, there's a part of me that wishes that, you know, for example, Agent Carter. Would have lasted a few more seasons. Yeah, and to, to have done the streaming with the Netflix model. I think that there would have been enough people to support that. And likewise, I mean, forgive me for saying this, because there's a lot of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that I've enjoyed, but I also have felt sometimes that stretching to 20... Mm, filler. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, yeah. I think there was a good tight 10 episodes per season that wound up mm. being turned into 22 episodes of not quite as entertaining. I mean, I still I still enjoy the Agent Coulson and all that, and, and I'm looking forward to the return, especially if it means that the Inhuman stops running. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, I'll agree. I mean, you know, <laughs> That's a good I'm reason sorry. to bring it back. I mean, I don't. There's a lot of people who work very hard on that show. Uh, not hard enough. Okay, my mm-hmm. plea to Disney. You guys have all the damn money in the world, right? When you do the Inhumans and you've got the Queen of the Moon, is really the Queen's gown made out of one piece of fabric? Everything looks so darn cheap. I mean, it just looked like a soap opera, and they had no budget. And it's like, Battlestar Galactica had no budget 10 years ago, and they still look 10,000 times better than Inhumans looks today. You can do it, but please invest a little bit of money to make it worth looking at. I look at that show, and it's one of these things where it's like, they're on the moon. They're on the moon! You could do something cool with that, and they haven't. But that's the thing, I look at it, and it's like, the moon is made of poured concrete. Yep. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. They're on the moon, and you're thinking, what? well, they have no access to a Sherwin-Williams paint store. <laughs> And then you've got a teleporting dog that's zipping them to earth and stuff. And I'm like, okay, then I'm calling shenanigans on your bare concrete walls. Go get a splash of mauve or green or whatever. And let's throw some color on the moon because you've got access to it. You people are so living in a gray, dull world. Black Bolt's always got to wear a black suit. Even when they did the flashback, it's like he's still wearing the exact same costume at the age of 15 as he is at the age of 40. And I'm like, really? He's only got one suit for the last 30 years. Okay whatever again i wanted this to work i mean i was one of the boobs who actually went to the theater and saw the first two hours in imax which by the way did you see where imax actually said it was a bad idea yeah 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 i was like wow (laughs) could you wait to release that till after we finish running the show i do remember seeing the trailer in an imax theater for it coming out and i believe it was when we went to go see dr strange and most of the audience kind of chuckled at are you kidding me you want me to pay to come see your pilot episode of a TV show that looks like that. From day one, I haven't had really any interest in Inhumans. I've watched it. I've tried to like it. I really No, I can't. get that. <laughs> and speaking of movie theaters, we really should talk about Thor Ragnarok at this point. Yeah. This has been an enormous success. Thor has just completed its first weekend in theaters in North America. It's managed to take in $121 million in ticket sales. Now, According to the trades this morning, the worldwide box office for Thor should exceed $600 million by the end of this coming weekend. To put that in perspective, 
It took the first Thor movie, it took them 16 weeks to earn $449 million, whereas Thor Ragnarok is now on track to make a similar amount of money at the World War box office just a week after this, help me out here, Taika? Taika. Taika. Waititi. Waititi. Taika Waititi. Yeah. Because again, I want to learn this guy's name because he made a wonderful movie. He made... This great loosey-goosey, irreverent action adventure with so many wonderful, great character moments. And I'm not the only one who says this. If you go to Rotten Tomatoes, the really for real critics currently has a 93% freshness rating. And to put that in perspective, that's not just the best rated Thor movie. First Thor movie, what, has a freshness rating of 77%. Dark World, made two years later, 66%. This thing stacks up against Guardians, which I guess got a 91% of freshness rating. And it's even pulled better reviews than the original Avengers and Spider-Man Homecoming. And the only thing it hasn't beaten was the first Iron Man, correct? There we go. There we go. So, which I, I think speaks volumes. It does. There's this amazing article right now in Vanity Fair that talks about the production of Thor Ragnarok and when they were developing it Chris Hemsworth really he sat down with Kevin Feige and it's like please help me out I feel like I'm dying here that the quote is I feel like I have the handcuffs on and what was interesting about this is the reason Chris felt this way is that Thor over the course of the cinematic universe had gone from being the Norse god of lightning to kind of the guy who handled ham-handed exposition. I don't know if you remember from Age of Ultron, he's got this amazing line at the end of the movie. He's about to take off to go back to Asgard. And Tony Stark's, well, why don't you stay? Why don't you stay on here on Earth and be with the Avengers? And this is the actual line that poor Chris Hemsworth had to say. I have no choice. The Mind Stone is the fourth of the Infinity Stones to show up in the last few years. That's not a coincidence. Someone is playing an intricate game and has made pawns of us. You hear a line like that, and it's like this, that famous story that Harrison Ford had been handed the script to New Hope, and they're on the set, and he's trying to figure out how to do the the jargon in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, and he, he turns to George Lucas and says, George, you can type this but you sure can't say it. And that's the thing. Poor Chris Hemsworth was saddled with all of this exposition, and it just felt like to try to make that natural, to try to play a character, to find something in there, was just not working. And so, again, quoting from this Variety article, he was telling Kevin Feige, if we're going to do another one of these, it has to be funnier. It has to be unpredictable. Tonally, we have to wipe the whole table. And let's be honest, it it feels like they did. I I could have told you about uh, two years ago that this was going to be a bug-eating crazy movie. As soon as they mentioned the fact that Taika Waititi was going to be the director, Mm -hmm. I, I just couldn't believe it. This guy's crazy. Well, now, (laughs) what is his vampire movie, What We Do in Shadows? Is that... Yeah. Now, without getting into a whole thing about the movie, I can explain it in about a sentence and a half. What We Do in the Shadows is exactly this is Spinal Tap, except with vampires. Okay? Okay. If you like the humor of this is Spinal Tap, just take out the rock band, substitute it with a family of vampires living in a house together, 
and a documentary crew following them around, and you have one of the silliest, funniest vampire movies you will ever see in your entire life. It's a cult classic, and it's only been out for a couple of years. People absolutely love it when they see it. So that had just come out. I had just watched it. I read Marvel hired him for Thor, and I went, something drastically different is about to happen. And then right before Thor Ragnarok came out the year before, he also had a movie called The Hunt for the Wilder People. If you read the movie description, it sounds very uninspired. It's a troubled kid who runs away from his foster parents and he ends up out in the jungle of New Zealand and his foster uncle, who's a really gruff guy that you really can't get along with, is tasked to go out into the wild and fetch him back. And meanwhile, all of New Zealand is doing a manhunt for the uncle and the missing child. And when you sum up a story like that, it sounds pretty, meh, Mm -hmm. you know, uninspired. But if you watch that movie, you will laugh, you will cry, and you will absolutely fall in love with a couple of people that you thought you couldn't even like to begin with. And it's a very powerful, emotional, moving movie, and it's still very funny. And so when it came time to you know find out, yeah, he's going to be directing Thor Ragnarok, I was absolutely ready for something completely different that we'd never seen before. I thought it was a huge gamble on Marvel's behalf, but I also thought it was a very well-placed bet on that individual. As you said, they took this gamble, which... When you think about what happened with the second Thor movie, where the person who was supposed to direct the second Thor movie was Patty Jenkins, who now, of course, everybody knows because she delivered that absolutely amazing Wonder Woman movie. Sure. To circle back to Rotten Tomatoes, that ended up with a 92% freshness rating. And when you consider that Batman versus Superman, that got a 27% freshness rating and Suicide Squad got a 26 This was a woman who was genuinely excited. But I guess the problem was that when it came down to it, the second Thor movie was supposed to be moving things along in the direction of where Ultron was supposed to go and setting up Mm -hmm. Sokovia and all that. But here's the thing. What Patty wanted to make was a very different film. The interesting thing was she's out doing press for Wonder Woman. She asked people, asked her, what happened with Thor True? And she's like, ah, the story I wanted to do was kind of a Romeo and Juliet-esque space opera that hinged on the separation of Thor and Jane Foster, the character that Natalie Portman played. And mm-hmm. in the end, it was one of these things where as impressed as the folks with Marvel were with, with Patty, and again, they signed her to do the sequel just five months after the original Thor film had come out in theaters. It just came down to the fact that we like you, but this isn't the direction we want to go in. And when you're let go, it's kind of embarrassing in in the professional field. You're cut loose from a film. But she could not help but be gracious about it. I've got a quote here. She talked about how the education I got while working on Thor 2 was great. Leaving the project was obviously painful because I loved the guys at Marvel and I loved the idea of making a Thor together. But it's just one of those things. You have to make sure that the movie you want to make is the fully the right movie for that studio, too. Just I love that she could see that, which is why I really, really hope that at some point in the future, and given that she left on good terms with Marvel, that they'll be smart enough to invite her back to do some film in the the Marvel Cinematic Music. But the problem is, of course, 
Warner's having gotten this giant hit film out of her. I mean, the last I saw, what is $821 million worldwide box office for Wonder Woman? Mm-hmm. They've locked her up for Wonder Woman 2, which sure. December 13th, 2019, which going to be interesting for all you Star Wars fans out there, because a week later, that's when episode nine hits. So you're going to have to choose with you're sitting there with your wallet. Do I do I support Diana or do I support Ray? Some of us will support both. There we go. <laughs> oh, anyway, getting back to Thor Ragnarok. So sure. we talked about this going into this because you are very respectful of the fans and know that a lot of people haven't seen this film yet and want to keep sure. the, the prize surprises in place and that sort of thing so knowing that how do you talk about this wonderful movie well let's start with the fact that we've already covered they had an amazing director that is known for being a bit on the zany side <laughs> and so you can expect something different going into thor that you have not yet seen in the marvel universe we've had a lot of comedy with guardians of the galaxy i think there's more comedy here I recently read that 80% of the dialogue was improvised, which sounds very correct to me because I sent Jim my show notes beforehand, and one of my comments was that a lot of their comedic gags are more off-the-cuff lines that are more like a throwaway line, and they land better than most well-planned sketches in a full-fledged comedy movie. Now, it's so funny you mentioned this because... Nancy was out in Las Vegas at the Star Trek convention this past summer. And Carl Urban, of course, you know, who, who plays... Mm-hmm. Uh, Scourge. Yeah, who plays Leonard McCoy in the Star Trek movies, plays Scourge and yes. Thor Ragnarok. And somebody was asking him about the movie, and he said, I had a great time making it. I have no idea what I'm going to be doing or saying in the movie. The very th- same thing. It said, we improvised so much dialogue, I have no idea what they used. I'm going yeah. to the theater myself to find out what I do in this movie. Apparently, the line where Thor sees Hulk in the arena which is shown in the advertising and he says the line I know this guy Mm -hmm. from work was pitched to him by a kid from the Make the Wish Foundation who was on set. I heard that. Yeah that's a great story. And for that to actually make it into the movie I'm sure that kid's probably got to be in the theater smiling ear from ear knowing that came out of his little brain and good for him. I, I couldn't be happier to hear such a wonderful little story where you know sometimes you have directors like the Coen brothers who write a script and you don't deviate from the script because their words are very specifically chosen and then you have other directors that say okay we know we've got to get the story from point a to point b let's shoot you know 10 or 20 takes and just roll with it have fun with it and we'll see what we get Once you do the script version and you know the direction of the scene, mentally you're prepared to start getting loose with it and start throwing out different things. And when you have a director that allows actors creative freedom and then you end up with someone like Carl Urban who goes, I have no idea what my part in the movie is going to be like because I gave him a hundred different takes each time and I have no idea what they chose. And I think that's exciting type of filmmaking. And as an audio producer of 20 years, I also am that way with my production. I have a script, but I allow for my talent to throw something at me that I didn't write down that nine times out of 10 is a better line and I'll use their stuff. So I like that type of workflow and that creative collaboration. I think you get some surprising results you wouldn't get otherwise. If you allow me just to do one moment, it's only like 
two minutes into the movie. Yeah, absolutely. One of the reasons that Chris Helmsworth really wanted to do something different with Thor Ragnarok, he just had felt like, I keep handling these giant chunks of unsayable exposition. And, and I love that scene in the very beginning of the movie where you have a character explaining what Ragnarok is in Norse mythology, what's about sure. to happen. But but the gimmick is that Thor is dangling from the ceiling on a chain <laughs> and, and the chain yeah. starts to rotate. And so as in the middle of the villain's monologue explaining what's going to happen at Ragnarok and what I'm going to be doing to, to Asgard, and Thor, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm facing in the wrong direction. Give me a moment, I'm rotating, you know, I'll be able to make eye contact. And it just, I love that that's how, that, that was sort of the thing that indicated. It set the tone. No, that's it exactly. But again, at the same time, to address the issue that he brought to Kevin Feige, that I don't want to do, be the exposition god anymore. And that, to me, to start off with that scene is sort of establishing a taste of what this film was going to be. Sure. And then it delivered, whether yeah. it's just the, the Grandmaster. I mean, with the- Jeff Goldblum, for him to play the Grandmaster, I thought was great. And I'm already thinking about the director and how crazy mm-hmm. he is. And then I'm thinking, oh, God, we throw Jeff Goldblum into the mix. I mean, this is a smoothie of nuts and crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And, and we haven't really even touched on the Hulk yet. Well, we'll say Kate Blanchett briefly. Every scene that she's in could be an animated GIF that you could just run on your computer all day. She is gorgeous. She is evil. She is a great villain. And I'll leave it at that about That's her. That's true. And then, yes, we'll get to the Hulk. Obviously, the advertisements had an arena battle, so you can expect that. That is a good time. We get more Hulk talking, which is interesting. But again, we don't want to give away any of the gags. Everything is so funny and so unexpected that it's just best that if you go in the theater, expect to laugh a lot. And here's one thing. I know some people who don't necessarily enjoy a laugh experience from beginning to end. They want a little more seriousness with their superheroes trying to save the universe. But if I laugh for two hours straight, to where my face and my sides are hurting, I cannot walk out of the theater going, oh, that was a miserable time. I just can't. I loved it. Oh, absolutely. But at the same time, I love the fact that there are some emotional moments that genuinely land amid the great silliness and the amazing action scenes. Well, you got Anthony Hopkins. He's just such a great actor that you could give him a couple of seconds and get gold out of it. He's not there very long, but every time he's on screen... You can feel that fatherly love for his sons. The emotional things do land. And let's not forget about Loki. We can't really talk about a lot of stuff because there's a fun arc here. We can say that Loki has always tricked Thor. You expect Loki to be a trickster. And I've always kind of wondered how long it would take for Thor to get wise (laughs) that uh, his brother is going to betray him. And I think that there's finally some payoff of things that have happened from other movies about Loki's trickster ways and how Thor responds to them that I think were were handled very, very well. I agree. I agree. Again, I can't get into too many specifics. How about this? Why don't we allow folks to get out there and see this movie? And given that the Hulk really is a big part of the story and more to the point, Anyone who's been following the press for Thor Ragnarok knows that Mark Ruffalo has been out talking about how there's a 
Hulk story that's kind of started in Ragnarok that's going to continue into mm-hmm. Infinity Wars and again the follow-up film in 2019 but again let's give folks like two weeks or so to check this out and, and how about we circle back on the Hulk and do sort of sort of a deeper dive on into the Hulk territory yeah 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 that sounds like a good time cool all right now we discussed this before the podcast ooh, before ooh, we wrap it we're gonna cool. do something new and different I'm sorry this is so cool all right yeah, go ahead we're gonna try something yep. new and different to just give the audience just something different quick background I've been an audio producer for radio stations for over 20 years so audio is my world and when I sit in a theater there are certain times where I'll hear a sound and I'll I'll just wonder for days how they made that sound for that effect and so what I've got for you today is a little recipe on how you can make the sound of Thor's hammer flying through the air I'm gonna play a couple of sounds for you first we have a church bell and there it is ringing And then I took three different glass bowls from the kitchen and I dinged them with a wooden mallet. And here are those sounds. So relatively simple, we've got a church bell and three different bowls. And so next, what I do is I take the three ringing bowls and I flip them backwards. So instead of you hear me hitting the bowl and the bowl ringing, it will then ring and then you'll hear the bowl hit at the end. Here's the sound of the three bowls ringing backwards. And now, flip the church bell around, and the church bell will also be backwards. And so now what we have is, you have get the metal ringing of Mjolnir, the hammer, and you also get this ethereal chime from the glass bowls. And then, for my audio producer friends, I'll just say very, very quickly, I added a flange with a very, very low depth of modulation and a very, very long length of modulation, and then uh, put it together. And the very last sound effect I added, I took a football and slapped it into my hand, and that's the sound of the hammer entering back into my hand. So now we're going to play all of this together, and what it's made up of, again, is a church bell, three different glass bowls being dung by a, a metal mallet, all flipped around backwards, and then a football landing into my hand. And this is the end sound effect of what Thor's hammer sounds like. Now, I will say, this may not be the exact recipe that Disney and Marvel used, but this is what I do for a living, and I think about these things, and this is my close approximation to what Thor's hammer sounds like with a couple of homemade objects, and I put it together in about five minutes. So we'll post the uh, work parts online. If you're an audio person and you want to try and make it yourself, you can follow the directions. If you just want the final sound effect just to play with, go ahead and, and grab it and put it on your phone or put it in your fan films or whatever. But we just wanted to do something interesting that you may never have heard or seen before and kind of show you how we make weird, unnatural, unearthly sounds out of everyday home objects in your kitchen. Very cool. As Aaron was saying, this is the sort of magic he works in. If this is the sort of thing you're intrigued about, let us know. Likewise, if there's any Marvel and Disney related topics you'd like us to tackle on future shows, please give us a heads up. Again, this is only show two. We're kind of feeling our way here. Sure. Well, I hope you've enjoyed Aaron and I sitting here sort of chewing the fat on what's going on right now at this moment with Disney and Marvel. And hopefully you'll be on board with future shows. I guess that's it for tonight. So this has been the Marvel Us Disney Podcast. For Aaron Adams, I'm Jim Hill, and thanks for listening.